0: Well, this morning um, is as uh, with a video and, and the prayer, this is a morning, a morning when or a day when we remember um, the, the, the church around the world who doesn't have the same kinds of freedoms that we do. That we, we look at um, and remember the, those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering around the world. Um, and, and we're grateful. We're grateful for the privilege that we have. We're grateful for the boldness and the courage that, that they have around the, around the world. Just a couple things as we... Um, as we get started, first that uh, I just want to say thank you. There's all kinds of people in, in this room that, that were involved in the Fear Not Festival, and um, that was an incredible time. This was our first as our family. It was our first time doing the Fear Not Festival, and um, we had over 600 people that came through this church, through the, whether it was the putt-putt golf things outside, the, the games that we had here, and it was just an incredible moment of just throw the doors open and invite the community and For me, I was just blown away and so grateful. Our family was like this is so fun just seeing the, the way that people enjoyed um, this facility. We have been blessed with, a, with a, a beautiful place to be able to gather and worship and to be able to just throw the doors open and make that truly and obviously for our community. I was just proud and grateful. So thank you. One um, other piece in a, in a few weeks, uh, the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we're going to do what we call a Thanksgiving service, which is not, we're not going to have, it's not turkey and stuffing and all those kinds of things, but we're going to pause and just express gratitude to God for what he's doing in our lives and part of what we're going to do in that service is that's uh, woven together is um, baptisms and baby dedications and so we would love uh, I would love to have the privilege of um, walking with you through those significant moments right the 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 moment of baptism you know some people cry at weddings I cry at baptisms I love redemption stories and it is one of the greatest privileges that I have to um, participate uh, in that redemption redemption story that God writes through the the baptism process so um, if you're interested in baptisms or baby dedications, on the Connect card, you can just write uh, baptism or baby dedication. I'll follow up with you, and we'll talk through what that looks like. Um, we're here to help with next steps, and we're here to celebrate with you on next steps. So this morning, we are continuing the, the series that's called Heroes, and this has just been a, a simple, uh, the structure is simple. It's six stories of, of faith, six stories of people who have gone ahead of us in faith that um, that just reveal to us something of what life could look like if, if we're fully surrendered to God, what, what life could like it, look like if in the moments that really matter that, that we get it right. And so these are not perfect people. These are not people who, who 100% of the time got, got it right, but these are people who in moments that really mattered, moments that, that would have impact and an ongoing impact on their lives, that they, they got it right. This morning we're looking at Uh, It was actually beautiful the way this lined up that we're looking at the story of Daniel this morning. This was not us saying, well, this is prayer for the persecuted church Sunday and and we're gonna look at Daniel. It was literally as we had mapped out the the teaching for the the fall that um, the story of Daniel matched with this particular Sunday in a beautiful kind of way. Looking at the story of Daniel, is a story of unpleasant circumstances. The story of Daniel is a, is a story of um, a, a man and a, and a people under persecution, a man and a people who were, were being held down by another culture that had taken over their, their culture and um, were putting them in uh, very difficult kinds of settings, putting them before them decisions that would require them to make a decision, yes or no, am I going to continue to follow after God or am I going to make it easier on myself and not? And so what we see in the story of Daniel, the, the very simple picture is this is a, this is a guy who thrived, under persecution, all right? This is a guy who managed to, to, to live the kind of life that um, was for the glory of God and for the good of him, for the good of the people around him, despite unpleasant circumstances, that, that it wasn't that he, he avoided unpleasant circumstances, but that he was faithful in all circumstances. I think a lot of times we make this confusion, we have this confusion between circumstances and um, and, and God's blessing, right? We have a, a, this tension that we confuse between our circumstances and maybe God's power and God's presence uh, and God's purpose in our lives. That we look at this and we say, well, well, if my situation looks like this, then it can't be that God has anything to do with this. It must be that, that God is either powerless or God doesn't have a purpose in this, or, or there's some other piece that, that, that's, that we're looking at saying, if my circumstances, present circumstances, this specific moment is this way, then that must have something to do with God either being powerless. Or not having a purpose or not caring that that we take this and we take our circumstances and we start to use that as a lens to understand the way that god is dealing with us whether he cares for us uh, whether he's in control all those kinds of things and so we look at this story of of daniel and we we see a man who was in unpleasant circumstances the kind of circumstances where it would be easy to say I don't think that God is in control, right? I, I can't imagine that God is in control of this, that God intended for us as a nation of people to be, to be in captivity, for us to be in exile, for us to be held under the, another leader who doesn't follow after God, who hasn't, doesn't have any kind of good intention for us. It'd be easy for a people to look at that and say, well, we just have to give up on God too because it, apparently he doesn't have power. Apparently he's not in control. And so this is the story of Daniel the, as a people uh, wrapped up in, in, in this kind of persecution, uh, this, this oppressed environment. But Daniel is a, a guy who God has a special calling on, a guy who would, would live courageously in a way that would help other people see who God was and the, and the power and the control that God actually did have. So in uh, Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1, the story is picking up. You've got Daniel, who's um, one of the, the guys who has been cap, uh, held in captive. Uh, the, the, the king is now putting in a position of honor because Daniel has proven himself to not just be for himself and not just be faithful to God, but He's been a benefit to the kingdom that he's a part of. And so in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 6, it says this, it pleased Darius, right, Darius is the king now, to appoint uh, 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. And with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Right? Here's this guy who was in captivity, this guy who was oppressed, this guy who, who shouldn't by all rights have any kind of political power, should not have any kind of authority in this community, but he did. So this king sets up this, administrative system he's setting up this this plan for how this is going to work out and so he has you have Daniel and these 120 other satraps and then these administrators over them that that Daniel is actually part of the the organization of the kingdom right this is a picture this is a picture of healthy leadership. This is a picture not just of a tyrant, right? It would be really easy if we were looking at saying, let's make these two people one-dimensional where we've got Daniel the good guy, Darius the king, this oppressive, uh, persecuting king potentially. We, we make him just a bad guy. We, we kind of take everything that we would understand about a tyrant and place it on him. What we see is this guy who cares about his kingdom, who cares about his people, who cares about proper and healthy administration of his people. And so you have these three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel, and these satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. When the king is doing well, the kingdom is doing well. Right? So this king cares. This king cares about how the system works. The king cares about what this should look like, and so we see this picture of healthy leadership. The, this picture of this king who cares about his kingdom that isn't taking a tyrant approach, but is for the good of the king and for the good of the kingdom, He's trying to put together a system that, that makes sense for, for the administration of this environment. So he sees this guy, Daniel, and he puts him in a position of honor, puts him in a position of authority, saying, this is a guy who's on my side. This is a guy that maybe I don't agree with. I don't know the, the relationship that they had up to this point, but so this is a guy that we can trust. And so verse 3, So now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and over the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel is beginning to get ahead, right? Daniel's beginning to, to make progress politically or professionally or however you want to look at it, that, that he's growing in authority, that he's got the attention of the king, that he's got authority over people. You see this Daniel working for the good of the king and the kingdom. This is how Daniel gets ahead. It's not that, that he's in opposition to the king, but he's, he's for the king, right? He's trying to help make sure that he's, he's living in a, in a, in a way that, that helps the king move forward as well. So he sees these exceptional qualities. The king is looking at Daniel and saying, this is the kind of guy that I want, to, I want to use. This is the kind of guy I want to know. This is the kind of guy I want to be in charge of others. And so verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct uh, of government affairs, but they were unable to do so, right? They went through and they started to do what we would understand as an audit, and if you've ever been through an auditing process, it's not a lot of fun, right? You're going through and it's like, there's surely something they're going to find, right? There surely is, like, like, I tried, I did, I did my very best, but, you know, there's going to be something uh, that we're going to find that, that is going to, to cause us trouble, and, but they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent, right? That he was not not just that he wasn't corrupt, but he was also like a good administrator. He'd also done things well. So finally, finally, verse five, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless unless it has something to do with the law of his God. All of a sudden, we start to see the, the real picture. All of a sudden, we start to see the, the way that uh, the, the men are operating, the way that the, this process is playing out has actually very little to do with just just Daniel or just with a professional ambition, it has to do with this tension between the men and God, right? These men are subversive. They are, these are the ones that are being subversive, not Daniel, who had every right to be subversive, who was held in captivity, who was held in bondage, wasn't, was not a free man, politically speaking. And if there was ever anyone that should have been or could have been operating in a, a subversive kind of way, then it was Daniel, and yet it's the men around him that we find acting in subversive, way, subversive ways, not on the, on the part of the kingdom, but on the part of themselves. So verse 6, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone, that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so King Darius put the decree in writing. So this, this group, these people who are kind of in opposition to Daniel, who are, who are frustrated, who are, who are feeling like they maybe don't have the power that they'd like to have, or they're feeling offended that Daniel's starting to move ahead, that they, they come together in this, this, is kind of like a strength in numbers. There's also like stupidity in numbers. Sometimes they, they come together and they're like, we're going to fix this. And so they come to the king and they, and they stand before him and they put out this plan. And so these subversive people know the language of of the court. They know the language of of the way this is supposed to work within the political system. And so they begin to manipulate the king, right? So you have Daniel working for the good of the king and the kingdom that even though he didn't have to, even though it would probably have been, made more sense to him potentially to to be subversive, but continues to be on the side of of the people around him. And then you have the people who should have not been operating in subversive kinds of ways operating as a group in a subversive way. And so King Darius put the decree in writing. So what's Daniel going to do about it, right? Here's this decree that says, if you're going to pray to any God, it has to be to Darius, right? That has to be the, the, the trust. And it's not, just, it's not just prayer, but it's the trust in someone other than God or the other than the king. And so in verse 10, it starts to show Daniel's response. It says this, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And we begin to see who Daniel really is, right? We begin to see an intense opposition. We begin to see in in kind of the intense persecution that's about to happen, that, that Daniel continues in the patterns that he's already had, right? That Daniel is, I wrote in my notes, that he's living in this particular kind of tension, that he's learning to get comfortable intention not in resolution that that daniel doesn't try and fix the situation that he doesn't say there's a decree that's been issued and i need to find a way to fight that i need to find a way to undo it i need to to pray for god to to kind of break down this political system but when he learned that this degree decree had been published he went home and continued to do what he had already been doing right this this connection with god that he had was was marked by consistency That under persecution, under the tension, under all the things that were starting to, in a lot of ways, just go the wrong direction for Daniel, that he's finding that I'm gonna continue to work the plan. I'm gonna continue to be faithful in the same ways that I I had been doing before. It says that he gave thanks to his God just as he had done before, living in tension, getting comfortable living in tension, not just in resolution. This is an important part of Daniel's story, that it's not just about resolution. It's not just about kind of vindication, but it's about it's about the tension, about getting comfortable living in this tension. And so in verse 11, so these men who had set him up, these men who understood what this was, what, what the, the game that was being played, they, they go as a group, again, strength in numbers, stupidity in numbers, whatever, oppression in numbers, they, they come and they find Daniel and they find him praying and asking God for help. Daniel's consistency is what got him caught. Dan, Daniel's consistent, faithful approach to his relationship with God, the fact that they knew that Daniel was going to be doing exactly what Daniel did because It's what he did, right? That was his connection with God. That was his pattern. That was his rhythm. His consistency is what got him caught. But what we find is this particular kind of prayer, this kind of prayer that is marked by connection. It says that they they found Daniel praying, right? They found Daniel in connection with the God of the universe. They found Daniel in, in consistent connection with God. And then they find him petitioning as well, praying and asking God, for help, recognizing the connection, meaning that, that Daniel believed that God was there, that even though his circumstances began to, to take a turn for, from like bad to worse in terms of the, the freedom that he'd have to worship, that even though it looked like intense persecution, even though it looked like things were getting bleaker and bleaker and bleaker, that, that Daniel's prayer, his, his connection with God reflected his belief that God is there, his understanding that God is there, and then his petition would suggest that he understood that God can help, right? that, that he prayed, that he connected with his God and that he, he asked God for help, believing that God can help. What we don't see in this moment would be a prayer that we might be tempted to pray that would sound a little bit something like this, that would be like, God, you have to fix this, right? God, you have to fix this. If, 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 if you are who you say you are, if you are who I believe that you are, then, then you have to fix this. There's, there's no way around it. God, that, I'm going to put this before you, I'm going to place this situation before you, and, and, and it just has to be fixed, my prayer isn't just a prayer. It's not a prayer of gratitude. It's a, it's a prayer of demanding that God fix the situation, fix the circumstance that I'm finding myself in, right? I'm not alone in this. This would be what we would expect Daniel to be praying. And yet, he's simply asking God for help. And so this group, this, this, this kind of strength in numbers group, they, they go to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree he says, "Did they say, did you not publish a decree that during the next thirty days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your Majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den'?" And the king answered, "The decree stands in accordance with the law and with the, of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot which cannot be repealed." So they're they're setting the king up. And, and I read one of the, a commentary. There's a scholar that was looking at this story. He said it's fascinating that the only one in the story that seems to be operating in freedom is Daniel. You have these, these men that are, are on, on the opposition that are operating in, in slavery to their ambition, in slavery to their hatred for Daniel. Probably just looking at the way that looks and then you have the king who's, who's enslaved in some ways by the system, who's enslaved by the political system, enslaved by the decrees that cannot be repealed. This king who should be in charge but yet is, is bound by certain laws. And so Daniel freely operating within relationship with God, operating in that kind of way. So they said to the king, well, if it can't be repealed, and if, you, if the decree stands, verse 13, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day, right? They're beginning to tell a story about Daniel that's not fully true. They say he pays no attention. Here's a, here's a guy who's working on behalf of the king, who has shown that he is on the side of the king, who shows that he's worthy of trust, but they're beginning to frame him in a way that, that his story is not really his to tell in this moment or to the decree that you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. And so when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined not to bring retribution, not to punish Daniel, but to rescue Daniel. And so he made every effort until sundown to save him, to, to figure out how he could get Daniel out of the situation that he was in. For Daniel had proven himself worthy of trust. So then, verse 15, the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed, right? Locking him in, recognizing that, that the king is not free to do whatever the king wants to do, that, that the king is bound by the law. And so this pe- these people who have set the situation in motion, who have put this all in motion, are, are leveraging the, 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 the slavery of the law that the king has in this moment. And so the king... The story changes from one chapter to the next. the, the, the begins to, to go into the moment, right? The testing moment, this hero moment for Daniel. So the king, verse 16, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, and this is the part that when I when I was looking at the hero stories, when I was looking at those moments to, to understand which, which stories are worth us spending time looking at, which stories are worth drawing out and learning from, applying to our lives. Here's this king, right? This king who, who by all rights would not have any connection with God, that wouldn't have cared about all these things, but had watched Daniel's life, that Daniel's life had been the credible witness up to this moment. This king, as, as Daniel's getting ready to be thrown into the lion's den, as this punishment is being ready to, to, to is getting ready to be, to, meet, to be metered out to Daniel, says this, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Wow. I read through this passage not too long ago as I was reading through the Old Testament. And I came to that moment. And I, I saw this story and I, I I looked at this and to think, here's the king, right before, I think, because I've heard this story in the past, and I've always thought of it in a different kind of way, never imagined that the king would be operating with Daniel, looking at Daniel in the way that, that the dialogue suggests he was looking at Daniel. It'd be tempting in this moment to, to look at the story of Daniel as being put to the test right? When our circumstances get difficult, when, when it feels like we're facing opposition, when it feels like we're, we're facing persecution, when, when things aren't going the way that we'd like them to go, that it feels like we're being tested, right? Am I not by myself in that? That, that when our circumstances change, when, when things don't go the way we want them to go, that we can look at that and say, I'm being tested, right? The, that someone is persecuting me, that they're pushing back against me, that, that has to do with me being tested, it tempted, be tempting to look at this as, as Daniel being put to the test, but it's bigger than that. Right? The, the, the words of the king suggest that there's something far bigger going on in this story, that it's bigger than that. Darius is testing God. He's saying, may the God whom you serve continually rescue you. Pushes him into the lion's den right? Setting up this story to be about way more than just Daniel surviving the lion's den, way more about th- than Daniel just simply being faithful in the midst of persecution. This now becomes, this situation is being set up between the king and God. And so the, the stone was brought, verse 17, that, as we continue to see how, how this is set up for the king to test the God of Daniel. This, this stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the, th- with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. The king is putting God to the test. The king is saying this is not going to be about the people who care about Daniel or Daniel's friends finding a way to save Daniel, finding a way to distract the lions or, or bait the lions away from Daniel. This is the king saying, and it's even going to be clear that it's not me that's doing it because it's not just my ring, but it's, but it's the rings of the other administrators as well, the other people that are in charge, the other people that, that can give credibility to the story that's playing out. And so the king sets it up in a way that says one of two things is going to happen either God is going to show up and save Daniel or he's not. And so what we're going to do is we're going to learn from this moment so that his situation might not be changed. How many times do we find ourselves praying for changed situations? How many times do we find ourselves longing for our circumstances to be different when God is working something far bigger than the story that we understand in this moment? And so verse 18, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. and He could not sleep. The king is living in tension as well. And at first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you served continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's? Isn't that an incredible moment? When we think about this story, when we think about the the relationship that the king has with Daniel, the relationship that it seems like the king is beginning to have with this living God that that Daniel has been serving continually, his cry is, is not, Daniel, are you okay? He's saying, look, has the God, has the living God whom you serve continually been able? Has he been powerful and present enough to to, to change your circumstances, to keep you safe in in the lion's den? to suggest that the king is watching, that the king is watching not just Daniel, but the king is watching God, saying, what does this look like? That Daniel's credible witness begins with the way that he operated in relationship with the king, and then, and then it, it continues on with, with the way he operates within the lion's den, and then what happens next matters, that the credibility of Daniel's story, the credibility of, of the relationship that he had with God, of, of the way that God is working in and through Daniel's life is, is being revealed in this moment to the king. And so Daniel answered, same kind of statement that the, that the subversive group said. May the king live forever. This Daniel speaking peace from the lion's den, speaking peace into the king's turmoil in this, particular, in, in this moment. He says this, My God, right? my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of lions, and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty." that Daniel's witness, that Daniel's story, that, that, the, that the way this played out wasn't like, I survived, king. He said, my God, my God has rescued me. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions and they've not hurt me. And so the king was overjoyed, verse 23, was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And, and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is the hero moment, right? This is that in times that matter, in situations that matter, in circumstances that matter, how do we operate? let say that this might be an unpleasant circumstance. For some of us, we have lived in what feels like lion's den moments. Maybe for some of us, we're in the middle of those lion's den moments. Daniel says that, or the, the story is recorded, that he had trusted in his God. This is his hero moment. And so at the king's command, now we talk about, we now look at the subversive accusers. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and with their children. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. This is showing that the lions weren't right? The part of the the, the the thing that's happening, there's two things. One is that the lions had not been somehow tamed, that it wasn't that it was a safe environment that Daniel had just managed to survive, right? It was obvious in this moment for the king to be able to see that that it wasn't about the lions being somehow kind of like held back. The lions were hungry, the lions were prepared to attack, but they simply had not attacked Daniel. The outcome was not about punishing the accusers, right? This was not Daniel. This was not God doing away with the people who had, who had come after Daniel. This is about the king saying, this is for the good of the kingdom, right? Who is operating on my behalf? Who is operating in a way that, 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 that operates for the good of my kingdom? And he's looking and saying, Daniel has, and these guys have, have made this about themselves, right? They've set this whole thing up so it's about who, about their, their progress. It's about who they are. So this outcome was about more than the punishment of the accusers. It's for God's glory and for Daniel's good, that they didn't settle for retribution, right? It wasn't a, about, about these accusers being punished for coming after Daniel, but it was about the king looking and saying, what's best for the kingdom? Who operates in a way that's, that's, that's faithful to me? So then we have the second decree. We have this second decree that comes out from, from King Darius that he wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth. He says this, may you prosper greatly. And he says this in verse 26 as he begins to write this decree, which the second decree, which is in so many ways the reversal of the first decree. He says this, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Four, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. The decree, if you lay his first decree, the one that was written by the subversive group, and you look at, look at that decree, and it has everything to do with trusting the king, it has everything to do with, with, with death and punishment, and all these things that, that you lay this decree, the second decree, after he's watched Daniel operate, as he, as he watched Daniel's life, his, his time in the lion's den, and then his return to relationship with the king on the other side of the lion's den. The, the second decree is the reversal of the first. It says don't trust in the king, right? Trust in the living God. Don't, don't reverence the king, reverence the God of Daniel. It comes with a promise of life, not a, not a, not a fear of death or a threat of death. That so we look at this moment, we see Daniel's faithfulness throughout the story, from the beginning of the story to now this moment in the story, and we see that Daniel's faithfulness, his, his credible witness from, from being on the side of the king to, to going through the lion's den to coming out on the other side, the lion's den experience didn't just change Daniel, but it changed the king, right? That his decree looks different, the language looks different, the way that, that he operated, the way that he led was different because of the lion's den, And so, verse 28, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. So we now see the full story. We now see the whole thing start to play out. We see for the good of the king, for the good of the kingdom, for the glory of God, for the good of Daniel. We see this story play out that Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Started in unpleasant circumstances, started in a way that looked nothing like prospering, started in a way that that looked nothing like it was going to work out on Daniel's behalf. And yet, God And yet god daniel faithfully step by step by step following consistently after god and what we see is this man who was steadfast this is the part of the story this is the piece when you say so what do we learn from this we look at daniel's story what is it that we learn from this moment what does it look like for us to be steadfast in the face of persecution for us to be steadfast not just in persecution but in in unpleasant situations and unpleasant circumstances for us to be steadfast means that our context is in our connection with God, not our present circumstances. That our context, the context in which we operate, right? The, the, the idea that, that we go out into a variety of circumstances, that I can't promise what this week will hold for any of you, that, that it's going to be simple. I can't promise that it's going to be difficult. But but the context is not whatever those circumstances are. Aren't whatever, isn't whatever that moment looks like at the time. Our context is the connection that we have with God. This is Daniel looking and saying, I'm connected with God and, and circumstances around me are changing. That, that All that is, is happening in a, in a way that I have no control over. What I'm going to focus on and the way that my, my life is going to, to operate, the context that I operate within is within this connection that I have with God. Does that make sense? That, that it's not just about Daniel it's not just about Daniel kind of enduring through different, difficult circumstances. Daniel is posturing himself in a way that says, my context, whatever circumstances I find myself in, my circumstances aren't my context. The context in which I work out my faith, my context in which I operate in, where I make my decisions, is my connection with God. That my connection with God is more important than circumstances. For some of us, we need to take this moment, we look and we need to understand that maybe we need to spend some time on that context. That we need to figure out how we continue to grow in connection. That maybe we need to get consistent and understanding the way that, that God is calling us to Himself. Our context is our connection with God, not our present circumstances. Number two. Number two, this was This was the one that I that God has dealt with me. Maybe the of the of the three statements that we're going to be spending time looking at and unpacking. This is the one that, that God has probably taught me the most on over the last year, that, that we're, saved, we're saved in, not from our present circumstances. That we're saved in, not from our present circumstances. That means, just to take it into Daniel's story, that Daniel was not saved from the lion's den, right? He was not spared from the lion's den. He, he was in the lion's den with the lion's mouth shut, but he had to go through that process that, that he was saved in the lion's den that he was spared in the lion's den not not from the lion's den there are so many times in my life where i would rather be spared from or saved from to, to say that that set of circumstances i would rather not face and so my prayers sound something more like god would you would you take this away would you would you change the setting would you change the circumstance would you would you make it so i'm being i'm spared from what i have to go through the reality that we see here is that that Daniel was was saved in, not from. I don't know what circumstances you face. I don't know what present circumstances look like. I know that for some of us, there's some pretty tough. There's, there are tough things that we're facing. To remember, to remember what it looks like to be in the lion's den, and for Daniel, I picture him as he's in this lion's den, and this angel has has shut the mouths of the lions, but yet he's still surrounded by the lions right his his situation has not changed he still has the night that he has to spend in the lion's den that there's still fear right there's still tension there's still the 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 chance that well maybe god didn't fully save me maybe god didn't fully protect me maybe the, the the angel isn't fully capable of protecting me from the mouths of these lions that Daniel, his experience was, was still a, an experience of, of tension, of fear, and of, of unpleasant circumstances, that, that God didn't save him from the lion's den. He still went into the lion's den, but he was saved in the midst of that moment. We're saved in, not from our present circumstances, that God shut the mouths of the lions, but kept him in the lion's den, and that's hard. Right, those are the kinds of things that our prayers don't always fully capture, that our prayers don't fully understand, that to imagine what it looks like for us to be steadfast and to to understand that that there are moments that that God is going to save us in, not from. Number three, our steadfast lives are our credible witness. Our steadfast lives are our credible witness, which simply means that people are watching. Right? That, that we don't know what's at stake with the decisions that we're making. We don't know, like Daniel saying, saying, I'm going to be faithful in the lions and I'm going to be faithful in the, in the experience that, that God seems to be leading me through, that, that my circumstances have gotten difficult, that I'd rather not face what I'm facing. And yet what's at stake is way bigger than one man, whether or not he got eaten by lions. Right? What's at stake is the, is the future of a kingdom. What's at stake is, 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 is a king who's, who's wrestling with who this living God is. What's, what's at stake is way, way bigger than, than just Daniel, for the good of the king, for the good of the kingdom, for the glory of God, for the good of Daniel. We never know what's at stake in our story, that the lion's den literally changed a nation, right? That's the Babylon story over and over again. We have the fiery furnace, we have the lion's den, that, that these moments of tension, these moments of persecution are actually transforming the nation around the people that are experiencing these things. People are watching. They need us to stay steadfast right that Daniel's witness before the lions den was significant right the, the king looked at Daniel before Daniel was thrown in the lions den and said I know you continually serve your god and then he still pushed him in right that that Daniel his, his witness wasn't crafted in the lions den but his witness was crafted before the lions den In the lion's den and after the lion's den that that our credible witness that that people needing to see us stay steadfast is 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 all of those kinds of moments those moments of 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 persecution those moments of of i don't know how to save myself from this and then the response how we operate in the, the kind of the beginning middle and end of the story ultimately god getting the glory that the king's decree is the reversal the king's decree reveals that god has done great things that our steadfast lives are a credible witness means that God is working a whole different story than what anyone else expected, right? The people who were, were, were persecuting Daniel, who were, who were te- falsely accusing Daniel of, of operating in a certain way, that were setting Daniel up to be, to be punished. The ones who were manipulating the king, the way the story played out, you're looking, you're thinking, well, this is a story I think I understand. And then you take a step back at the end of the story and you look back and you say, God was writing a story that was so much bigger, God was writing a story that was so much more powerful. God was writing a story that was so much more significant than what any of us imagined, that maybe Daniel, as he prayed in connection with God, maybe understood that there was a bigger story. But when you're in the middle of it, right? when you're in the midst of the persecution, when you're in the middle of the lion's den, the lion's den seems like the whole story. right? That it's like, this whole story is about me somehow surviving. And there's really, in this moment, we see something much bigger than that. So what I see is a prayer that's a simple prayer that is simply goes something like this god for your glory and for my good right for your glory and for my good regardless of circumstances regardless of of wherever it is that that i'm 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 operating and whatever it is that's coming my way or not coming my way whatever it is that's expected or unexpected whatever i'm putting in front of you saying god you have to do this for me or else and maybe we change our prayers to simply say for your glory God, whatever it is I'm facing, for us to take the thing that's causing fear in this moment to say, God, for your glory and for my good. God, would you you work through this situation in a way that that gives you glory as the story unfolds? And it is for my good. Would you help me understand how this is for my good? And so what does it look like for us to have Daniel confidence? It starts with connection, right? Consistently chasing after God, consistently saying, I'm going to spend time listening to God. I'm going to spend time listening to him through his through his word, I'm mean, going to spend time praying to him, right? That, that Daniel's consistency wasn't just what got him in trouble, it's what got him through his circumstances as well. To recognize that we can have Daniel, kinds of, the Daniel confidence that, that starts with connection and then moves on to surrender, that we surrender our comfort. We say, it's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's, it's not about what I would rather see, that, that this whole story isn't being written for my, just for my benefit. I'm not just simply coming to God expecting that, that everything is going to make sense moving forward, that we surrender our circumstances, that, that, that we surrender our way of understanding the connection that we have with God, that, that our circumstances, the, the things that we're afraid of, the things that we're afraid might happen if we, if we lean in, if we start to live in a different kind of way, the, the relationships that might change when, when our circumstances start to change, when We start to try and control our circumstances. We're invited in this moment to say, look, it's not about us controlling our circumstances. It's about us surrendering our circumstances. And it's about us surrendering our self-centeredness where we make every story about us. Have we noticed that we do that? I don't think I'm the only one that, when we look at our story, it's really tempting to say that our story is just our story, that, that my story is just my story, that, that the only thing that God might be doing is, is somehow operating within me and not realizing that what's at stake, not realizing that who's watching, not realizing the, the story that God could be writing in our lives. It's so much bigger. And so we simply pray, God, for your glory, for my good, not for my glory and for my good. Not my preferences, not my way, but God, yours, would you work in me and through me? Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the story of Daniel. God, for the, a, a life well lived. God, for a life that gives us a glimpse of, of the kind of lives that, that you're calling us to live, where we operate in steadfast kinds of ways, regardless of circumstances. God, for some of us, as we listen to this passage as we listen to the the conversation about circumstances that we look at certain things that we're facing in life we look at at certain things that maybe we've gone through or we we are expecting to go through god's surrender is hard God's seeing beyond just what's in front of us seeing beyond just our own experiences is difficult so, God, I pray that you give us eyes to see. I pray that you give us courage. I pray that, that you continue to, to pour grace into our lives as we, as we get it wrong more often than we get it right sometimes. But, God, I pray you'd lead us. God, I pray that we'd be able to see a glimpse of who you are, that, that our lives would be marked by something better and deeper than just our own comfort. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.